ドゥルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルルI like trains though. Trains are nice. I was going to mock trains, but I couldn't actually muster it within me to mock trains because I like trains. Trains are nice. But while I'm bussing, you can listen to me talk about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second Harry Potter film released in 2002, only a year after the first film. So they really churned them out. It was cheaper, it was made for $100 million as opposed to $125, but it did make slightly less money, $879 million as opposed to the. About 970 million that the first film made. So, you know, you, you cut down the cost, but cut down the budget, but they made, they made freaking $800 million profit in this film. Probably slightly less because of marketing and stuff, but then probably slightly more because of merchandising and licensing. So, you know, Harry Potter has been good to Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers partners. Yes, this is the second film in the Harry Potter series. Honestly, I think it's the most kind of separated from the broader narrative because there there is the plot of Voldemort once again trying to find a different way to bring himself back to life as young Voldemort who's put himself in a book. He has a lot of contingencies. That's what I've learned about Voldemort. That's what you learn through these books. He's like, if I die, I want at least like four different ways of coming back to life. Okay? I want you to be on this. If there's any reason I'm weakened, this is how I shall return, or this is how I shall return, or I'll have a bunch of horcruxes just to be sure, and I'll have the book that my memories are in, then, you know, my kind of soul can be revived with the Philosopher's Stone. All these things to make sure that I can't be put away for good. We had a bunch of new cast members. Kenneth Branagh was introduced as Gildor Lockhart, a celebrity author and the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, continuing the reoccurring gag of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher meeting a terrible, horrible fate. Though in fairness, he doesn't get eviscerated or anything like Quirrell does. Rather, he just loses all of his memories. Interestingly, Hugh Grant was said to be the first choice, but he turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. I've been turning down Harry Potter films, though I suppose he's more of a one and done character. So you can kind of understand saying, ah, you know, I'll sit this one out. And Kenneth Branagh is once again a, a very famed British actor and director saying silly words and pretending to be a silly person. Fair play to him. Fair play to all of them. The plot this time around is Harry is going back to school, except this time Dobby doesn't want him to go to school. Dobby is introduced. And I'm getting myself emotionally ready for Dobby. Anyway, <laughs> Dobby is introduced and he doesn't want Harry to go back to school because school is in great danger. Hogwarts is in great peril this year because of an unknown threat at that stage. And... The threat turns out to be Tom Riddle, or young Voldemort, who is trying to bring himself back to life via a journal in the hands of Ginny Weasley. That's the plot of this film. There's a giant snake, it's roaming around petrifying people. One of the bigger contrivances in this film is that this snake somehow manages not to kill anybody. Which is, it's fine, I know it's a kid's film, you don't want to kill anybody, but... Oh, th these, what, four or five different people got petrified without actually being killed? Far too contrived, people! Could have killed some disposable side character just to establish the stakes. And there's there's a bunch of stuff in this film. This film is very long. This film feels way, way too long. It's one hour, 61 minutes, so two hours and 41 minutes long. There's an extended edition that's another, like, 16 minutes long. I couldn't find watching it. 
because like, this film did not need more stuff in it. If you hacked about half an hour off of this film, I think it would work a great deal better just, just from a pacing standpoint, because I said this is one of the the less essential Harry Potter films in kind of the broader Harry Potter canon. It doesn't feed into that broader narrative in any real kind of substantial way. It's more of a bump in the road, here's another adventure in Hogwarts kind of thing, as opposed to here's the, the most important thing that's happened in this universe at all, and it's happening right now. So yeah, if it was shorter, it would be better. It's, it's very long. It's far too long. This film actually opens with a gigantic sweeping shot across a bunch of suburbs. And it's, it's interesting. I thought it was a really neat shot because it, it looks like the bleakest, most depressing place known to man. And to Harry, it is. As opposed to Hogwarts, which is a world of whimsy and wonder and bright lights and weird ghosts wandering around and magical things happening around every corner. The suburbs is uniform, it's identical, it's the same, it's boring, and Harry is trapped there during the summer. Which I thought that was just from a single shot at the very start of the film, it's like, good job. This film actually does a very good job of just poking in the arm about important plot points that don't necessarily make it like, this is a thing that you should be paying attention to. For example, the first time they go into the girl's bathroom, on the second floor, Morning Myrtle's bathroom, the, the shot just lingers on the, the stall in the middle, the the, the, the sinks before it pans to Harry and company who are around the corner and that's like wait that's the entrance to the chamber of secrets and you just left that little lingering shot there so you know that thing is important without pointing at it and saying look at that giant sink isn't it important isn't it a nice sink wonder will that be an important thing just lets it linger then moves on and it does a lot of that like even when Ginny is given the notebook it's just just a, a brief shot of Lucius Malfoy taking her book and putting it back and it doesn't show you that there's another book in there. It doesn't like point it out with ominous music. It's just a thing that's, that's there. It's not overdone. It's not bashing you over the head. It's just a little subtle little thing that you might not even notice, which is the best kind of subtle little thing. But if you go back and watch the film and you know exactly what's happening in the film, you're like, like yeah, that's a nice little bit of a story foreshadowing. Just dropping that in there. So you, you know it's important. This film features like, I don't know, 200% more Smug Malfoy. He goes into smug overload in this film. He is impossibly smug. That child, Tom Felton, who plays Malfoy, and it's just like, you are a master of being smug. I want to punch you in the face. You're very good at this. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm, I'm sure the direction of him for at least like, I don't know, half of his scenes is just like, stand there looking smug and annoying. That I can do. <laughs> also, we learned a great deal about Harry in this film. He talks as he writes, which is kind of weird. When he's writing in the notebook, he dictates every word he writes down. It's like, okay, Harry, it's kind of weird. You're alone. You're up at night talking to a book. It's kind of weird. You're already weird enough with your hurty scars and speaking snake languages. You, you might want to tone it down a little, you know, in case someone thinks you're just overly weird. Also, not good with a sword. When he gets Godric Gryffindor's sword and he's facing off against the, the gigantic snake, he's just like, whoa, whoa, waving it around. He, he has no swordsmanship. He's not a master swordsman. Yeah, this this film is very long, and it's it it works like it works on a story level, it works on a character level, but it's just a, it's it's a bit of a a, a a lug to get through. It's a slog. You just kind of like, all right, get to the bit where they confront the snake. I just I just want to get to the bit where they confront the snake. What they could have done was remove some of the scenes where people get petrified. I know they wanted to establish danger, but that would have removed one of the other major problems of it just being overly contrived. And that might have cut the film down a little, just make it a little more bite-sized, a little more manageable. It's not a bad film. It is the, the last film where Richard Harris played Dumbledore. 
He played Dumbledore for the first two and then sadly passed away to be replaced by Michael Gambon. So yeah, Rich Harris was a very good Dumbledore. As I said, warmer side of Dumbledore. It's more what he conveyed. And then Gambon conveyed the, the more kind of sinister side of Dumbledore. Well, not sinister, but more mysterious. The more darker past. There's layers there. This is the, the film where they begin to lean toward being darker, lean toward being less whimsy and less kind of fun and more like, ooh, there's danger in this world. There's danger in this bloody school. The first time there was giant dogs, there was mirrors that, that you could get stuck in front of because they showed you things you wanted. There was freaking plants that would strangle you to death. And in this one, there's a giant snake under the school the whole time. The school is not very well guarded. Voldemort has showed up here twice. So, you know, Dumbledore kind of wants to crack down on that security thing a little more. Because even the first film, Voldemort was just wandering around the woods outside Hogwarts. <laughs> do you think Dumbledore was like, we should really do something about that, shouldn't we? Eh, it's fine. <laughs> what could go wrong? These kids are good at wizardry. Everything will be fine. But yeah, it's not a bad film. It's just too long. And that's... I don't like things too long. It's just like, get on with it. Come on. Come on. But it's good. I prefer The Philosopher's Stone. I think The Philosopher's Stone does a better job of what it sets out to do. But this is a good film. And up next, well, it'll be a few days before I talk about Prisoner of Azkaban. At least. It won't be quite so near the first review. Space them out a little. Bit of content variety, if you will. You can listen to new episodes of podcast today every single day at soundcloud.com forward slash TWCK. Subscribe on iTunes for new episodes of podcast today and the weekend show. You can subscribe on YouTube or follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney, G-A-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. I say or follow me on Twitter. You can do both. You can subscribe on YouTube and follow me on Twitter if you like. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.